put your hands together for the late morning program with your host, Nam Ross. Hey. Hey. Chaitananda. What's up, man? Hi, Ball. Hi, Ball. Episode 14, the late morning program with Nam Ross. We have Chaitanya Nandan, my good friend, my older brother. Um, we always get mistaken for brothers, don't we? That's a good mistake. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, how's everything? Good. Good, good, good. 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 This is going to be a good podcast. We're going to talk about a few interesting topics. Um, let's start off with uh, what's going around right now. People think Tulsi Gabbard's going to become president one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to the fact. I'm open to the idea, but it's not going to happen. No, but it's it's a good start for her. I mean, Obama tried running for president, um, I think, one of the years before he actually became the candidate. Right. And just put him out there. So I think it's a good shot. I guess so. The voters are like, if we all come together, we can all vote for her and she'll win. <laughs> uh, no. Devotees make up like .00001% of the whole like United States. Please. Yeah. And, and, and plus, she doesn't you know, openly say she's a Hare Krishna, you know? Right. And if, you know, if they do more digging on her, like they might, they might just like, you know, find, oh, that she was a part of a, you know, this this movement or some like commune her parents were a part of anyways i don't want to go into yeah, it but yeah 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 i don't know anyways i i just think anyways. sometimes devotees have their heads in the clouds a bit anyway i'm just pessimistic maybe <laughs> but anyways let's talk about you okay um so you grew up in uh in in new york yes i did tell I'm us about raised. that yeah um my parents immigrated to India, I mean, from India to New York in the 70s. Right. And... Uh, Prabhupada Disciples. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty... Anyway, get into that. Yeah, sorry. Pretty, pretty interesting, you know, story. Like, my dad, he was... He heard about the devotees, as as many people did, and he mainly heard about the good food they had, they were serving at the temple. Hmm. Um, he, like many of the people who came from those days, they were bachelors and living in dormitories at Columbia University, you know, believe it or not. Mm. And they were cooking for themselves. And how much, you know, bakri can you eat before you get... T- Columbia? Yeah. Really? They were dorms at Columbia that they were housed in, yeah. Oh, my God, that's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so when someone told him, oh, yeah, the Hare Krishna temple, you know, they serve, you know, puris and this and that. So my dad's ears perked up and was like, let's go, let's go. And then finally, after I think a year or so of co- trying to convince his friends to go with him, they finally went. And then he got, of course, Prashadam. He also bought a copy of Teaching the Lord Chaitanya, and mm. his life changed ever wow. since. Yeah, and then when my parents got married, then my mom immigrated. And in those days, they handed you green cards when you got off the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Not like now. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> So they regularly were going to the temple, and then they finally got to meet Srila Prabhupada in 1976 at the Rathiyatra. Um, there was in a, New York? In New York, yeah. Oh, there was wow. a life members meeting that that uh, Srila Prabhupada had in his quarters on the 11th or 12th floor, and my really? dad was there. Yeah, there's a recording of it somewhere. Um, I heard, I heard, managed to hear it once. And my, I heard my dad talk to Srila Prabhupada for like a second. No way. Yeah, yeah. That's super. <clears throat> And then he took initiation <coughs> from Srila Prabhupada on Govardhan Puja Day, 1977, literally four days before Srila Prabhupada left the wow. world. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. That's amazing. And then, you know, my mom was scared 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to take initiation. That means you're going to move into the temple. Then the initiation ceremony is done. Prashadam is had. And my dad's like, okay, let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> it's different those times, right? It was For... It was a huge, you know, pr- the perception was so different. If you were a Hare Krishna member, it, it mm. meant you, the perception was you had to be part of a commune. Right. You know, um, but the reality was, you know, Srila Prabhupada had a much broader vision from all the devotees who I've talked to and what I've read, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a Krishna conscious lifestyle and a Krishna conscious experience, mm. which transcended even the temples. I mean, nowadays you hear so many devotees saying, oh, yeah, the Grihastas are supposed to be the majority of ISKCON and mm. second and third generation are supposed to be doing, you know, a lot more. But so that means there's an expectation that the communal lifestyle that the first generation, you know, made so successful, there had to be some transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, did you go to Gurukul? Uh, no. We were going to go to Gurukul. That was the other thing. If you had children, you know, in those days, whether you were living outside or not, the perception was if, if you want to make your kids Krishna conscious, they have to be in the Gurukul. Right. So my dad was like, yeah, no thanks. Mm. I mean, we came to America for whatever reason it was, material speaking, and the education, I don't trust education inside the Gurukul, mm. so let them go to public school, which were good in those days compared public to school, now. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my parents resolved that we will, you know, fill in the blanks. So we were getting up at, you know, 5.36 in the morning as, you know, grade schoolers, you know, singing Samsara Dava in our pajamas, waiting to, <laughs> to go to the bathroom. And, wow. And, um, you know, we were chanting our rounds as best as we could. You know, at Kadashis we were doing 16 rounds sometimes, and other days we were doing less, you know, television. Did you did you go um, to Lake Huntington for summers or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in those days, so after the Manhattan Temple, you know, was sold in 1980 55th street yeah the 55th sold sold in 81 or 82 um as part of the proceeds they iskan got a property up in lake huntington and near monticello uh, mm. and so lord juggernaut that are currently in baltimore were staying up there oh and the a gurukul was, was established up there mm-hmm. um, i have i still have some friends who went to that that gurukul right and vishnu Godaprabhu, mm-hmm. he and his wife back then they started um, the Camp Krishna, right, which was from '82 to maybe '87. And I went to one of those. No, you went to the version two, which was in Gitanagri. Oh, right, right. You were too small for. Yeah, yeah. I was like two years old in '87. <laughs> yeah, probably. <clears throat> but um, yeah. many of your, you know, peers, the people that you grew up with at Tawako, you know, were there. Yes, yes. And many of my peers and many of my friends, you know, we were there, mm-hmm. so we would spend our two weeks I think each camp was two weeks um, one year my father was like you can go for a whole month <laughs> so I was there for four weeks <laughs> really oh my god that must have been fun actually uh, yeah but it was challenging because you know temple bathrooms are not exactly right, right. the most pristine different. you know different and, yeah um, and doing your own laundry and you're eight years old it's not exactly ideal but yeah you learn you know <clears throat> and then you went to um, high school and then college yeah yeah did all of that stuff studied um, yep became, architecture yeah became an architect you're an architect that's pretty registered cool registered in two states New York and New Jersey <laughs> if you need an architect here's your map 
<laughs> if you're building a new temple. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into that. We'll get into that after. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when you when you said that's something that you'd like to talk about architecture in Islam, that's a fascinating, fascinating topic. Because um, anyway, we'll get into that after. Because I have a few things to say about it. Of course. Um, but uh, so you at this time when you were you know growing up, you were going to the Brooklyn Temple. Yeah, we were going to the Brooklyn Temple, and you know in those days it was a very happening place. There was mm-hmm. about 50, 60 devotees. Ayendra Prabhu was staying there at that time. Oh. And he was doing his, you know, world famous... Um, the truck. The truck. Yeah. That was all decorated, fitted out, you know, like a temple with the mirrors and all that. And with all the new Vrindavan style yeah, stuff. Yeah, all, all those moldings and things, yes, you know. Yes. It was it was a wild time. I mean, Rikrishwar yeah. Pandit Prabhu was there and the Kirtans right. were legendary. Right, right. We had our own Fab Four, you know, um, of like Kirtan <laughs> heroes and... You know, and Sankirtan was booming. There were bhaktas coming left and right. And mm-hmm. there was a pretty sizable, you know, congregation of life members and, you know, of well, Indian origin, you know, members of the community who were coming to Brooklyn. And in those days, Brooklyn was in the best place. Yeah. They were coming every Sunday, religiously, faithfully. Sunday feast, we had like three, 400 devotees. I mean, it was quite a happening time back then. Right. So, um... So there's a lot of so ba- talking about Brooklyn. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on there, you know. But we're not going to get so much into it because uh, I know I want to respect your, you know, uh, you know, basically, you know, not talk about kind of. Uh, yeah, let's not worry about all that. Let's just focus on exactly the positives. Yeah. Yes, yes, the positives. But um, your your role there now is of um, you have a role there now as uh, you grew up there. Yeah. And now you're directing something there. Yeah, so the, um, let's see, how do we put this? So there was a need. Sorry, Tulsi's doing a chance. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, Tulsi. Smells good. <laughs> so there was a need that had to be fulfilled, and yeah. you know, I was asked to help fulfill a need, mm-hmm. and I'm doing my best to participate. But it's not, you know, a vacuum, it's, it's an open process. Yeah. Um, there's lots of devotees involved. And we're trying to get more devo- devotees involved um, at the congregation level, grassroots level, as well as at the higher end to help um, bring more focus back to ISKCON in New York. I mean, New York is Srila Prabhupada's home. It's, his, it's ISKCON's birthplace. So yeah. So there definitely needs to be some energy. I mean, I respect whatever's happening in Mayapur with the TOVP and mm. you know all across Europe and stuff, but if the, the home temples are not cared for or given some attention, then... That to me is a bit of a challenge. How's it going? Um, it's going well. It's going well. Um, all things considering, it's going well. It's it's not easy to, you know. I guess I don't want to use the word takeover because it's not a takeover. It's not easy uh, easy to assume a new identity or a new vision for a community, mm. and it's not easy to to implement. It's it's very hard because because it's not about simply just putting some orders down and pushing some buttons. It's about winning hearts. It's about transforming. Developing relationships. You know, changing, you know, the perception. And mm-hmm. that that's a, that's a timely process, and it's something that, you know, no one should expect is going to change overnight. Right. You know, I mean, Rome was not built in a day. You know, there, there's a lot that goes to it. And even then, you know, who knows? I might not be there you know, as a manager long enough, you know, to see it through, right. you know. I mean, how do you do that? You're, you have a family, you have two daughters. It's, I mean, I mean, my family are really supportive. Yeah. And Shout out to Rasa. <laughs> you know, she's ex- extremely supportive of what's going on. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of my motivation is to, 
ensure that for my kids and your child and for all of our my peers' children's and the future generations to have a temple that's accessible and at the same time safe and to them relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no longer just about doing one thing over and over again. It's about how we can make the message, how we can make the mission that much more accessible and that much more relevant right. as the days go by. What was it like growing up in the 80s in, in ISKCON as, a, as an Indian person? It was, I mean, it was, it was a fun time, mm-hmm. you know, um, because my parents were lucky to be connected to a lot of senior devotees, um, like and whether it was in Gitanagari or Nubrindavan or in New York, you know, and the Zonal Achari was the system was was quite prominent then. That was the only system then, actually. And <clears throat> my parents knew many of the um, senior devotees who were connected to the senior gurus of um, the, the gurus of that, that that time. So we were able to get a little bit of a insider glimpse as to the workings of the society, and we were able to be part of many of the major you know happenings of iskon in those days like mm. you know the new vrindavan boom in the 80s we were right there we saw all of it really yeah yeah when Srila Prabhupada, you know was put in the palace installed in the palace and and the festivals that happened for those following years and then we were we were part part of all of that you wow know? and it was amazing mm-hmm. and you know we got to stay in the temple when we were little kids with our parents and a 10 morning program my parents would cook the rajbog for Radha Govinda, so the brahmacharis or the residents would have to take us around and keep us occupied for a few hours. Oh, wow, interesting. So, you know, there were you know, wrestling matches on the balcony between the brahmacharis, and um, there was a contest, spinning contest for chapatis. Spinning? The, yeah, the cooks would make chapatis, and then they would spin them to the devotees because they were fresh hot. Like frisbees. Frisbees, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then I've seen definitely a few gulab jamun contests, you know. Oh, in yeah. My day, so. I was a part of that at the Mantra retreat. That wasn't a contest. That was just goofing off. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a contest because <laughs> it started raining. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Mantra retreat, hey, um, I want to know what you thought of Burke Rockford's... Um, let me just say, say yeah. something. Let's, let's give a little bit of a background. So Burke Rockford, for people who don't know, he's a um, scholar mm-hmm. from a university in Vermont, I believe. He is a scholar on ISKCON and right. Hare Krishna movement. Yep. He knows tons about Hare Krishna movement. He wrote, wrote books about he's, he's, also a dev- he's also a devotee. Yeah, he's a devotee. Yeah, yeah he's a devotee. Um, and so he came to the Mantra Retreat, which is a retreat for men in New Vrindavan that happened this past summer. Myself and Jay Taninanda went. It, yep. was, it was very nice. So he gave a speech um, about ISKCON and stuff. And he was basically saying how ISKCON has changed now. And, and uh, I mean, you can talk about it more. But basically what I got from his speech, there was no... There was no um, inclusion or any mention of 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 us, our demographic. <clears throat> yeah, I mean the demographic being born in America but Indian. So, so that so that's the, I would I would I, t- I spoke to him about that, about that afterwards. Oh, did you? I did. Oh, tell us about that. I did. So, um, so we were having prasadam one of the evenings, and me and Mohan Krishna were sitting next to him, and we just I just was like, you know what? It's in my mind, let me just speak to him and let's see what he says. And he yeah. was actually what did, you say? what did you say to him? I basically told him, I said, I liked your analysis how, you know, ISKCON evolved and, and what you thought, you know, ISKCON needs to do to bring maximum of its light. And I, and I told him, I said, well, actually, there's, 
you know the demographic of the Indian Americans, you know, who became you know full-time devotees or who became congregation members or are fully initiated and running temples now. And then our generation, we grew up in America. We don't have the the Hindu Indian mindset, you know, that that our parents came with. Mm. We have a different mindset, and and now that is becoming a big part of ISKCON today, with the kirtans and the festivals and all that. And he said he didn't know much about that. Wow, interesting. You know, so he, that's a huge chunk of ISKCON at the moment, like right now. Yeah, and I guess and he stopped studying it really because he's like retired. He's semi-retired, and and I think he's satisfied whatever curiosity he had with ISKCON. You know, and, and right. But he did say that this is definitely a subject for future research and future books. So hopefully that little perked his interest. To, that's really cool. You know, to to take it to that next level. Yeah. But but um, you know. Rochford begins by explaining the ISKCON demographic, which was really good. You know, he, he said ISKCON was a communal society in those days where everyone ate out of the same, you know, same food and lived in the same place and all the members were insulated as much as possible from the society. They were living and sharing responsibilities and, and comforting each other, you know, fulfilling all the needs of the society in a commune way, a communal way. Right. You know, um, but then, and then that whole thing was able to exist because they were sustaining it through book distribution. You know, hardcore, going out and, you know, morning to night distributing the Srila Prabhupada's books. And then, you know, eating very simply. And of course, health had a, and age had a big part. They're all young in their 20s, teens, 20s. Mm -hmm. Their their bodies were able to handle that kind of stress. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, after Srila Prabhupada's departure... (coughs) The economy collapses of ISKCON. <clears throat> For some reason, you know, many of the brahmacharis and brahmacharinis now feel, let's move on to the next stage of our lives, so let's move on. ISKCON's co- economy collapses, what did he say, 25% of what it was? I don't remember. Yeah, it's a very startling figure. You know, the, the, the number of books just dropped dramatically, and how did the temple managers, com- you know, cope with that? Okay, you're getting married to so-and-so. Okay, you have to move out. Okay, you're not... You know, so useful anymore, mm. and now you have a whole generation of devotees who are living completely at the mercy of the temple, supported a hundred percent by the temple. Now being forced to figure themselves out. Yeah, temples. You know, the temple economies collapse, and then what are we supposed to do? And then here come all these bright-eyed, you know, Indian Americans, immigrated from not India. Indian Americans. Okay. Soon to be Indian Americans, Indian immigrants. Immigrants, yeah. They come and they're, they see there's a familiar, you know, sound, Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Mm-hmm. Visuals are familiar, gorgeously dressed rather than Krishna deities. Mm-hmm. The prashadam, I mean, Puri is dipped in ghee, uh, fried in ghee. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody can top that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so they came to support. Yeah, so they came because it fulfilled their immediate needs because they wanted to stay connected to their culture. Mm. You know, and in some temples, like in England, you know, that Indian American community was va- uh, that Indian immigrant community was valued as a resource, and and by means by which the temple could not only thrive but continue their outreach efforts, and in some areas it was more viewed as a tolerated burden. That's what you know, and I'm sorry to if I disappoint any of the viewers by saying that, but that's kind of what it was. Like, okay, you know... It's seen as a burden? Yeah, it's a tolerated burden. Right, like all these Indian people. Yeah, like, okay, we need to get the roof fixed. Okay, let's do a fundraising dinner. 
or we need to organize, you know, or a theater or whatever. Let's get the the board out and get everyone's names on there. Mm. But then afterwards, where's the spiritual cultivation? No, no cultivation. You know, where 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 was the opportunity to say, okay, these are persons who are qualified to hear Krishna and and talk about Krishna and, and be a part of, you know, the Krishna movement. It seemed like they just wanted the money from those people from those people but the, they didn't really care about their but spiritual well they because the devotees who were still living in the temple they had this perception that okay because we're living in the temple full time therefore we're the most immune from maya and those of you who are living outside because you have to work every day you have to interact with the material energy you know every day therefore you might be more susceptible to maya's um attractions so it's better you support our activities and let us do the missionary work full time and in the gita you know krishna in the 12th chapter he he says if you can't fully in the 12, you know if you can't fully follow the principles then support those who are yeah the different gradations right? of, of surrender you so say. the devotees who were in the temple they had this little bit of a persona that okay we're still you know immune from maya because mm. we're living here we're eating the prashadam we're taking care of the deities we're doing the, the missionary work mm. and you're here to support us fast forwarding to 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 present day mm. um i hear uh, terms like phrases like the hinduization of iskon yeah so that to me is a misnomer there's you know the hinduization if if something is supposed to be hindufied that's a very broad and very vague term, you know. And I'm, and I'm talking about Hindu versus Vedic. You know, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of Hinduization, like, you can be a meat eater and an atheist and still be a Hindu. Right. So what does that mean? So you're talking, so so I guess the, the answer would be, there's a perception that the audience is turning brown, the food is getting spicier and oilier. <laughs> The 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 clothes are getting more shinier, more you know. <laughs> the music is getting more, you know, kawali esque. It's not even raga; it's more kawali style, which is right. that's a, that that would be called the Islamization of Iskon, you know, if you want to go that far. Um, there's more, you know, striking visuals. You know, there's not more of an austere situation. It's more visually yeah. friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, then the festivals experiences, you know, are not exactly what they were used to or what the devotees were used to back then. You know, the whole holy thing. You know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Does that bother you when people say that? It doesn't bother me because it bothers me. It, it doesn't bother me only because Hindu is such a broad word. Okay, maybe not Hindu, maybe, but the Indianization. It doesn't, because Krishna consciousness, you know, I'm sorry to say, came from India. Prabhupada came from India. You know, something funny. <laughs> I know, it's true. Um, it, something funny, like, I was, uh, you know when that that lady, that girl in that university wrote that cultural yeah, appropriation yeah, yeah, article? Yeah, yeah. So I was on Facebook at the time, and, uh, or it might be on Tulsi's. Uh, I, <laughs> That's so lame. <laughs> we'll talk about after. Uh so so I was reading some some comments that devotees made, and devotee was like, "See, this is the reason that we should take in everything Indian outside of the Hare Krishna movement. Like, don't advertise anything being Indian." And I was just like, "That that makes no sense." 
No, it does not. Like, how does that make sense? Like, you want to just, like, erase everything Indian out of ISKCON yeah. or Hare Krishna movement? Like, Prabhupada's Indian. <laughs> the only thing they like is of Indian is Prabhupada, and besides that, nothing else? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> it's like it's like telling, telling Christianities, Christians, take uh, uh, Jerusalem out of Christianity. Right. It's like, I don't know. It bothers me because it's like... It's racism, to be honest. Like, to be blunt, it's racism. Okay, Jay Jagannath Prabhu said, this podcast's new motto, mm-hmm. and I agreed with him, mm-hmm. is real talk from real people about real subjects. <laughs> what do you think about that? No, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. The talk has to be there. The format has to be such that there's room for dialogue. So this is a good good format. Yeah. Um, real talking has to be there. Real people, people who are living that should be there. Totally agree with it. So, Okay, so as a temple manager, mm. the, the your, your management, your up, uh, you know, above you says you need to bring more Western people into your temple. Mm-hmm. Don't need to preach to the Indians. Okay. What are you going to say? I'll say we'll do both. Both? Yeah. That's a that's a pretty so novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have multiple halls in the temple. I can have a outreach for Western in one hall. I can do a Srimad Bhagavad oh, Katha in do the third, second hall. You do it separate? I can have a six-hour kirtan in the third hall. I can have Govindas in the fourth hall. I'm preaching four different ways in one building. Okay, well, what about those of us who don't have that kind of a facility? So... We have ways and means to get facility without yeah. having to spend money. You can rent homes. So you think the solution is to separate everything? No, the solution is leadership has to be mature enough to see diversity. You know, what is, the, what is one of Prabhupada's favorite, fa- famous models, unity and diversity? Right. So Iskand's diverse. Its preaching can be diverse. I mean, in a place like New York, it makes no sense to preach only in English. Because Spanish, Spanish Russian, Bengali, Creole, Haitian... You know, African languages, right? Chinese. You know, it makes no sense. Bengali. I mean, there's a huge Bangladeshi immigrant. You know. Oh yeah, tons. So why not preach to them in their language? Yeah. You know, or 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 why not bring about some some of their cultural uniqueness to programs that are geared to bring them towards Krishna? Why not? But at the same time, the balance should be there so that there's preaching going in different directions. Like, uh, one devotee was telling us, well, now that we're in Brooklyn, we should preach to Brooklynites. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. You know? So we had an interfaith um, gathering at Brooklyn Borough Hall, and the borough president was there, and he's actually almost vegan and wants to come have prasadam at, at, at the temple one day soon. Wow. And I met, you know, lots of pastors and, and imams, and they were like, wow, it's good to have, you know, Hindu presence in Brooklyn. Mm. I'm like, yeah, it's great. You know? That's really good. Um... Oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, so, so it. We need to have Tulsi with like flashcards. <laughs> it's such a bro- it's such a broad subject. This the Hinduization of yeah. This so, so 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 to so, you know to try to like you know categorize it or try to you know poke you know criticism at it. It's not exactly ideal, but it's more of an opportunity for those of us who are in positions of leadership or those of us who care about what's going on to actually try to. You know, understand it, right? Oh, well, what I was gonna say was that it's the easy thing. You know, let's just be honest. It's the easy thing to preach to Indian people. Yeah, I mean, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, he actually gave a lecture in Houston in 2002, um, 
one of our friends shared that lecture with me. And in that lecture, he was actually critical of his own disciples who were taking the easy, easy way out and preaching to only Indian people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think other ISKCON leaders in, who have come to temples in our area have said the same thing. Yeah. You know? So I don't see, but I don't see any project that's that is run all by Indian people, and they're preaching to Western people, and the Western people are joining. Do you? It's gone. <laughs> it was run by an Indian man. <laughs> no, no. Okay, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like a, a temple. Um, I, I haven't visited all the temples in North America, so sort of people who are like pointing at me and saying, "Hey, we're doing that," let me know. But, Let me know too. But um, you know, Silicon Valley maybe. But but I I just see but more the, Indian but people the, joining. But, but the thing is, not I, that that's bad. Right. Like, let's let, let's let's get it straight. Yeah. I'm not racist in any form, or anything like that. But what did he say? <laughs> to your own race. <laughs> to my own race, right? <laughs> I can. Um, but so so basically, I, my concern is that this kind of like rhetoric that's been going around like this kind of racism that like underpinning racism of people saying oh there's you stop you know indian people are not really you know basically saying that indian people are not like qualified qualified to or they're not important enough to be devotees and and uh, for a place to be successful there has to be lots of western devotees well, success, I think, is met. Um, if we want to go to real success, you know, we have to go back to what Srila Prabhupada wanted. Um, in Africa, in Nairobi, particularly, because he, he went there a couple of times, the devotees who set up ISKCON out there, they were, you know, doing Harinam in the streets of Nairobi, and, and they had some success, but they were getting more success from a lot of the uh, Indian community who was living in, in Africa at the time. Mm-hmm. And so Sunday feasts were mostly, you know, brown people. And Srila Prabhupada came and he asks, and forgive me, where are the blacks? Mm. And, and then the devotees were like, well, we don't know how to preach to them. And Prabhupada told him, we preach like this, open the doors wide open, have ecstatic kirtan, have prasadam, they'll come to you. Wow. And they did. Mm-hmm. So... I think the mark of like um, whether you're doing the right kind of preaching or not is who are the local demographic. If they're not coming to the temple, then your preaching is going wrong. So if the local demographic, is I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that your preaching is going wrong. Right, it's no, not going it's wrong. Not it's it's not it's not it's not optimal. Right, because I mean, why have a temple in that area if the local people are not coming to that temple? So what temple is doing that? Show me a temple that's doing that. What having people at a local coming? That's to an temple? optimal preaching center. There is none outside of India, right? You know, and that's not that's a big statement. And that's not a it's not a it's not a bad situation. Again, we're not. I'm not here to say it's a bad thing, but I'm saying is that's where you know the devotees and the leaders need to look at. I mean, that's what the leaders who are coming to New York have told us is now that you know we're in a different situation now now we should see how to connect with the people that are local to the temple right you know and for us local means all of new york city it doesn't just mean you know the Brooklyn. square mile around you know the temple right so that's where we are scratching our heads is, is how and then luckily for you know for us you know there are 
other projects, you know, like Bhakti Center and and the the Harinam Ashram, they're making steps and and spreading it out. And and now one of our challenges would be is how to work and create that that network by which everyone can benefit from this type of you know presence. Right. You know, but the the, the thing is, you know, that's the challenge for every manager of every temple to look at. Are we? What is our demographic? So that requires, you know, what I talked about earlier is analysis, research. It requires devotees to step back a little bit and, and, and begin to see, well, what are we doing right and what can we do to make it better? And a lot of what we can do to make it better comes from actually understanding what Srila Prabhupada wanted. Understanding his, you know, because he was very clear on where temples need to be established. He was very clear on, on, on how to attract demographics. I mean, the peace formula that Srila Prabhupada discussed in Chicago that wasn't just you know pie in the sky. That he proved it practically in his own example. You know, but when that guy came, the, the jail guy. No, it was the lieutenant in the, in the oh, police department. Right. He right? he wanted to know how to. Yeah, and he said, "Give us your empty halls. We'll have kirtan and prasadam, and the people will come, and, and they'll have a better experience." Mm. You know, and and temples that that do cater to that, that open their doors, that invite the local people to come, they benefit. Yeah, I you know I see that when I was living in England, Bhaktivedanta Manor would have their open days. Yeah, and like all local people would come. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a yeah. good idea. Yeah, and 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 doesn't require us to have a big marble palace. It doesn't require us to have, you know, vast, you know, grounds and landscaping and whatever. It just requires devotees that are willing to come out of their comfort zone and and say, how can I share Krishna with you? I think that's really key. Coming out of your comfort zone trying to do things differently because like when you see a temple that's done things the same way for the past 25 years for them to change and and say okay now go you know do an open day or go talk to the local uh, government or go do this and go do that it's like it's kind of like a little bit difficult because it's like a kind of unknown ground you know? right and, and and some of that is because of who's calling some of that's because of, actually, most of that is because of lack of association. Lack of association? Yeah. What do you mean? If you're not challenging yourself, if you're not associating with people who can make you feel, get uh, to be a better person, if you think you know it all, I don't have to, you know, communicate with my peers. I don't have to go back to the head office and see how to make myself a better person how to, or be a better leader. Then you can fall into the pitfalls of complacency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, RGBC emailed the management of our temple and said uh, we didn't make our goal for book distribution. You know, um, the goals that we had for 2018, mm-hmm. like all ISKCON North America, was going to either meet their previous year's goal or was going to increase, mm-hmm. and we didn't meet this this goal. And I was just thinking, like, all of North America or just. No, the Art Temple. Okay. And uh, I was just looking at the devotees who were on that list mm. of who he sent it to, and I was just like, most of these devotees don't have backgrounds in book distribution. Right. Like, h- how can you expect them to, you know, I guess you can expect them to get people together and organize a book distribution, weekend warriors or something like that, but, like, people who haven't really done it or been around people who have done it maybe don't think it's so important so how can you expect them to like yeah so that so that requires you know managers from top to bottom to be willing to train and be trained that's so key that's so key 
you know so the level of accountability doesn't simply mean if you do something bad you know be ready to get punished but how to make yourself better that's also part of accountability yeah yeah like uh sometimes i think that you know now devotees that are managing temples the 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 amount of devotees that have lived in temples mm-hmm. who are managing temples now is so much less like yeah and that's not necessarily a bad thing that's not necessarily a bad thing but then you get like really like kind of big mistakes that devotees managers might make and it's like people who have lived in temples like what what that's like that's like a no-brainer but again it comes from complacency due to lack of association so like my my idea is like someone who's never been a temple president or has never lived in a temple like shadow a temple president that should sure. be like a that should be like a you know uh, that should be like something for someone who wants to be a temple president that should be a total like well it's not a question it's not like you know someone wakes up one day and says okay I want to be president it's not that's not I know it's not like that but you know but the, but the thing is you know anyone who is you know in a position of leadership should be always thinking about who when someone replaces me what will be the, the situation that they're left with right and if it's some, something that's complex then we have to identify those persons who we can start um training and that that means you have to be able to be you know interacting with your congregation you have to know what they're what they're all about you have to see what their strengths are what their weaknesses are provide the necessary courses or or means by which they can you know be trained and if they're enthusiastic to do something then how do we you know facilitate that yeah or generations from now it's going to be something different right you know that's it, scary it, it shouldn't be a situation where someone says you know i waited my whole life for this opportunity now i'm going to do whatever i want and then afterwards when i'm you know dead and gone then someone else could it, it doesn't it doesn't work like that mm. that's not sustainable right that's when you get the ups and downs you know and we and we need to see some consistency and consistency means there always has to be accountability, good accountability, not so good, and accountability improvement. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a tough thing, you know, ISKCON management, and it, it it becomes tough if you make it tough. I mean, this is Shila Prabhupada again. You know, it, it's simple if you keep it simple. And keeping it simple doesn't mean you just do the, the six arthis a day and then walk away. Keep it simple means the level of complexity in management doesn't have to be as complex as you think it needs to be. Mm. As long as there's dialogue, as long as there is you know, constant training and, and constant accountability, there's always going to be ways to keep the system going in spite of whatever challenges come your way. Right. You do you um do you see yourself being a manager like long term? No. No. I mean, I'm not a good manager. I can't manage my own time. <laughs> How am I supposed to manage a whole community? But I hope that devotees, you know, who have that aptitude and have that skill can can see well if someone like me who's unskilled, you know, accepted the the reality of the situation that they come forward and say, you know what, we can do it better. Or we can help you. Or I can see a situation that, you know, someone is just much more better than the position than I am, then probably you take this position. Yeah, you know? that's, uh, that's true. That's <clears throat> a big point. Um, that, you know, I was talking to Janavi about ISKCON succession in our last podcast. Right. And that's something that worries me about the fu- the future, you know, like... 
how how will it go on if 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 uh you know people second generation don't kind of come and take the reins and say you know we want to be a part of this now yeah yeah i mean like it it shouldn't happen by it shouldn't just happen like by oh oh he he can do something let him do like there should be a real uh Real push, a real push for from the first generation to be like sure. including the second generation. Like, sure. hey, c- why don't you take a little bit more leadership, or why don't you shadow yeah. me, or like you know, like that. I Absolutely. think that really needs to happen because. Absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, we're losing many of our second generation peers, who could you know who could have been so great in terms of taking ISKCON to that next level. We're and losing them. Yeah, we're losing them in the sense they're still part of the society. <coughs> But now they're, you know, doing their own projects, doing their own, you know, things. And if some of that energy could be could have been, you know, put back into helping to manage a society and helping to keep challenging our, our abilities to outreach and our abilities to connect people to Srila Prabhupada, Guru Parampara and all that, they could we could have achieved a lot more. Mm. Yeah. And at the same time, those persons who now have to be or if those persons that you know, we're also in leadership. Then also in terms of their spiritual lives, in terms of their association, their their desire to study the shastras and and get more, you know, with the the whole gravity of the culture of Iskand. Mm. You know, that wouldn't be something we would take for granted either. Right. And then this whole question about Hinduization goes away. Yeah. Right. It all goes away. Hmm. What's that? Oh, architecture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Flashcards. Oh, that was a strong chance. <laughs> um. So. So. Those are my sinuses. <laughs> right. So I was I was driving by um, a daycare down the road here. Yeah. It's a brand new daycare. Beautiful building. Yeah. Sure. And I was like. It was like you know, it was like a lot of that stone facade, mm. and like that real nice siding, mm-hmm. and like a stone columns, mm-hmm. and like a kind of like a craftsman craftsman style building. Okay, and I was like, why can't we have a temple like this? It's and it had a clock on the top. Oh yeah, I drove by that. Coming here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I was like, why can't we have temples like this? Like it's like a very welcoming looking. It looks like a library. Yeah. So I was thinking, we should have a temple like this. Like a very library-looking temple, and someone, and have you know, uh, welcome or something, and like come in or something, open to come in, like a kind of like a church, a church, not like churches, not all churches look welcoming, but I would just walk into a church because I've been into a lot of churches, and I I know that I you're allowed to just go there and sit there in the pews and just pray or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So. I feel like Iskand needs to get more into like a very um, friendly looking and kind of not unassuming looking building to to welcome people to come instead of instead of a very Vedic style with the gopurams and and, and like a very mm. cultural or ethnic looking building where people might be like oh yeah I'm not going there because that's only for a certain type of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, in India, as an architect, in India, Prabhupada wanted you know the domes and all that because right. that the kind of person he was attracting. In the West, Prabhupada, you know, was openly saying, "Give us your abandoned churches. We'll put you know Krishna deities in there, and we'll have programs." Right. Um, 
in LA and in Dallas, you know, Prabhupada set up the model of how he wanted temples to be established in the West. Um, Dallas is the only temple that kept it. Yeah. LA changed it. But the the model was Prabhupada wanted the the actual the prayer sanctuary where the pews are to remain. And Keep he wanted pews. he wanted devotees <coughs> he wanted the guests to come in with their shoes, sit in the pews, and he wanted the devotees to sit on the stage or whatever in the front and do kirtan and give clat talks. Whoa. That's what he wanted. And he wanted the, the the deities, the sanctuary, in you know, a safe, sacred place behind. Really? Behind the temple. Behind the, really the, the sanctuary. So like if if there was a chapel or a gymnasium behind the main worship space, that's where he would want the temple. So in Dallas, you know, the main building you see in all the pictures that's not where the deities are. That's where their the Prashadam Hall community hall is. Right. That used to have pews. And where the deities are, that was the gymnasium. That was attached to the temple. Yeah, right. And Tamakrishamaraj, when he set up Kalachanjis, he put it right in between. So when you go to Kalachanjis for the a restaurant, you have to walk by the temple to get to Kalachanjis. Ah. Oh. Brilliant. 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 And it and and that to me was you know how Prabhupada wanted to um, get the Western people to appreciate the philosophy first, then experience the culture. Right. Uh, so like at, at Bhakti Center, you know, His Holiness Radhanath Swami, you know, was able to engage me a little bit in helping to create his vision for that place. The temple was moved to the third floor for a reason, hmm. so that the second floor where the temple used to be, would be that place for seminars, yoga classes, the introduction, the philosophical stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when people were inspired to know more who was Krishna, you go up one more floor and there's Krishna and Radha standing there to greet you. Wow, that's really nice. I, I went to, um, when we were living in, not in this house, but we were living in an apartment, uh, when my in-laws came to visit, we went to this place, a Jack, it's called Jacksonville Chapel, in, mm-hmm. in on right, right next to the temple, basically. Mm-hmm. And they had two um, services. They had a traditional service, yep. and they had the modern service. So yep. we went for the modern one. So we went in there and there was like tons of people in there they're really nice nice and they told us okay go here that's going to start soon so we went into the the pews and we just sat down there and it was dark and then the lights came on and it's got rock <laughs> concert literally a yeah. rock concert great it was so awesome <laughs> they were they were singing about jesus and and we were reading like the things and we were singing along it was like a sing-along thing and then after the, the rock concert was finished a guy came out like with a headset yeah. and he just started like speaking he was yeah. like, such a good speaker and he spoke for maybe like 15 or 20 minutes and um he just had like some main point but he was like pe- preaching basically about God or whatever, and then afterward uh, they said, "Okay, it's over." And then we all walked out, and they were like serving coffee or and yeah. cookies or something. Yeah. And then everyone went back to their cars and left. Yeah. And I was like, "That's brilliant." No expectations. That's brilliant. It was such a great, and I felt like uplifted. Yeah. I felt really uplifted, and um, I feel like I c- I couldn't say that the same about every Sunday feast I go to. To be right. real, to be realistic, yeah, uh, you know. Of course, I feel uplifted to see the deities and whatnot. Sure, but because they become so monot- monotonous. Right. 
You know, every Sunday you block your time from 5 to 9 or 4 to 7, whatever it is. You go to the temple, you fill your role for the evening. Either you're doing an artique or, you get, you know, you're in Sunday school or whatever. You eat prashadam, spicy or not. <laughs> and then you come back. And then you, you know, put that, put your clothes away, put your, you know, all that away. Then Monday morning back to work. Yeah. You know, so it was like a segment of your life. And, and so that church and... and what I hope we can challenge with the situation that we're in now is how can we make the experience such that, you know, it becomes a part of your life. How do you how are you gonna do that? Well, it takes a lot to think about. It's, it's just follow their just follow their uh, model. Do a rock concert. No. <laughs> it's attractive see that's the thing we don't, we don't, we're not here to, to, to have gimmicks some people say oh yeah you do you know this type of dance or this type of color show for but those are just gimmicks <laughs> if there is no if there is no spiritual if there is no you know adhyatmic grounding you know part of it that that justifies these things from for, uh, taking place I mean there's ways you can do it just by greeting somebody at the Sunday feast nicely yeah a new you person. Know? Not only any person. Forget about new. Anybody. Everyone who comes to the temple should feel that they're welcomed, warm, and safe. Anybody. Yeah, you can't really say that about every temple. You know? And then, you know, devotees, when they come to the temple, they shouldn't have to worry about, oh, how am I going to get to the you know the restroom? I'm in a wheelchair. Or, or how, how am I, should I be on my, watching my kids the whole time? And I don't want, you know... Tulsi has something to say about that. So does Rasa, so we should have the two of them do a, uh, you know. Child protection. Yeah. I mean, right. and then, you know, if, if I go to the bathroom, I mean, what am I going to see, you know, is it? <laughs> what am I going to see? <laughs> so, 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 so the thing is, you know, and it's not just the devotees living in the temple's fault, it's everyone's fault. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a blame game, you know. Well, I live outside, they live in the temple, they should do that. Well, I live in the temple, I only do so much, how much how, how much more can I do? Oh my God, I hear that all the time. You know, so, so, so the question is, you know, do the devotees living outside have a vested interest in what's going on inside the temple? Aside from putting on your Brahmin threads going on the altar, you know, to do the Arctic. Mm. You know, showing off in front of the whole Sunday Feast crowd. Do you have the vested interest in, in seeing the temple thrive? Yeah. Do you have a vested interest in seeing that other people thrive when they come to the temple? And if you don't, we have to think about it. That's such a big thing. You know? I mean, what, um, in the 90s, there was one Brahmacharya living in the temple, German devotee, amazing person. Um, Karajaprabhu, I'll say his name, because he was a great person. Every Sunday, he would clean the entire temple lobby um, and he would set up you know the nice tablecloth on the reception desk put some Mahaprasad flowers a picture of Radha Govinda you know some temple cards or whatever and then he would take some incense and light it up and, and put it in different places in the temple lobbies and the shoe room and all that oh that's nice and everybody who would come in Hare Krishna with his deep driven accent you know welcome and then he would tell them where to go yeah simple you know, at Bhaktivedanta Manor, what do they do? They have the, the the volunteers standing there with the tilak stamps to put it on your forehead and and you know spray some Mahaprasad water or scented water. Or whatever, I found that you know? I found that di- you know difficult because then you can't. It's like uh, it's like everyone's a devotee, and it's like you don't know who you can be mean to. And uh, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Well, it's a bad joke. Yeah. Because it's like, hold on a second. Are you you look like you look like a devotee because you're wearing tilak, but I mean, you're what. I, 
never seen you before. Uh, <laughs> I can't yell at you. I mean, the thing is, in in the seventies, you know, I heard um, there were teams of devotees whose only job was to sit at reception and identify who was a seeker, and then your job was to approach that person, talk to them about Krishna. Right. You know, and some of you know our closest family friends, they became devotees because someone was kind enough to talk to them about Krishna one day. Right. You know, and then the prasadam would be laid out, you know, Vedic style, every, all the plates made in, in rows, everyone would sit down, and yeah. the devotees would sit next to the to the guests, and they would all have conversation. You know, there was no question about, oh, you know, Sunday feast, so I gotta get my pakoras first before everybody else does. It, you know, they, they, the mentality was, how much more can I give? Be- and the reason they were able to do that, because they were felt, they felt nurtured, they felt satisfied, they felt cared for. Mm. So, congregation members, if you're living outside, but you're coming to the temple, you're also looking for some sort of, you know, nurturing or caring. Yeah. Nourishment. Yeah. You know, not just, you know, pranir sabji, like real genuine nourishment. You know, so it's a challenge for the managers to be able to create that nourishing, nurturing atmosphere. And physically, we can do a lot. Handicap accessible toilets, an elevator if you have multiple floors, you know, proper lighting in all the rooms, you know, so that there's no dark spots, you know, you know, doors that are lead to, you know, exit or corridors should be, you know, closed or locked if they're not to be accessible so that everyone's safe. You know, cleanliness is a big thing, you know, um, um, programming and content, you know, we were discussing, you know, you know, how come there's no, you know, a mother's room in the temple, you know, for mothers to nurse their children. It's a, it's a law now in, in, at least in New York State, probably a federal law that all, you know, businesses with X number of employees need to have mother's rooms, you know. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a law. Yeah. So, and then, and then rooms for, you know, mo- you know, parents and toddlers, I'm not going to say moms, parents and toddlers or t- little children to be able to express themselves without having to disturb or challenge anyone else's, you know, ability to listen to the class. Yeah. I mean, I don't find it disturbing because I have kids of my own. Yeah. You know, it just requires everyone else to be just a little bit more mature and just, you know, focus. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so you put, and then, you know, prashadam served at a, at a normal hour. God forbid we don't serve prashadam at 9 o'clock at night. You know, we serve it at 7 o'clock or earlier. Yeah. So, you know, the Manor, they serve prashadam all day. Yeah. That to me is brilliant. You yeah. take prashadam whenever you want and stay for the class, kirtan, you know, come as you go. As long as you get you know, nurtured spiritually, you're going to come back. Yeah. And then it's up to the devotees who are part of the receiving, you know, team or the management team or the, the inmates of the temple to now then approach those persons and tell them about Krishna. Right. But but um, to go back to my original point, you said that in t- Dallas and uh, L.A., they that was the what Prabhupada wanted. That's what he wanted. <clears throat> but what about temples that don't have any pews or they were like not but, old churches, but or we're building them. Well, that's brand the, new. That's the thing is is you know, and I'm not here to you know criticize how temples are being built or and what purpose they're being built or in what way they're being built, but I'm I'm here to just you know. Ex, you know, extend my um, my knowledge or my research or my experience that Prabhupada was very clear on what how he wanted the experience of Krishna consciousness to be depending on what part of the world you're in. He was very clear about that. 
mm-hmm. and it's documented. You know, it might, it might be in specific letters or conversations, so it might not be in the you know Bhagavatam, but some instances are there too, like about Rathayatra in the CC, how he wanted Rathayatra to be you know all over the world. Mm-hmm. So he had a very clear, a very concise vision about how temples should be interacting with the community. Mm-hmm. You know, in Rome, Prabhupada was there one well, one and only time in mm-hmm. the summer of 74, and the devotees complained to him because there were condoms on the street. Mm. And they were like, we should get out of here. And Prabhupada said, no, we have to stay here to purify this neighborhood. Wow. Hmm. Um, so what do you think about like Vedic style temples in America. I think it has to be taken in context. What do you mean? The thing is, if you're pro- promoting a Vedic experience, but there has to be some way to approach it. It shouldn't be just bam in your face, you know, as a big temple with a big chakra on top. You know, a, a really good model in terms of temple building are the Swami Narayans. Mm-hmm. And forget about the marble part, that's the last thing they build. The first thing they build are community centers. Big, big open halls. Not only open halls, but there's classrooms, gymnasiums, mother's facilities, Mm -hmm. restrooms, Mm -hmm. you know, libraries. Places where the community can be nurtured. Yeah. And they buy into their philosophy. And they accept the philosophy. And even when they establish deities, they establish them in the community centers. And when the community centers get to the point of full capacity, then they discuss, should we you know, turn it in, uh, open up a marble temple? And, and the marble temple that they open or build can barely hold one-fourth or one-fifth of what they can hold in the community halls. Tiny, yeah. So what's the purpose? The purpose is you go there, like you go to a church for specific prayers. Right. But you do your community activity, the communal stuff, in the community halls. That's a good idea. I like that idea. So, you know, if we're saying let's open up a 30,000 square foot temple hall, fine. Then you should have enough of a community to sustain a 50,000 square foot community hall. Yeah. You know, this should be means. You know, the the, the size of the building should allow for growth, but also be able to facilitate community. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can't have this type of conversation typically in a temple room. When you're in front of the deities, you should be engaged in prayer. Yeah. Not necessarily, you know, talking critically about social issues. Yeah, right. I, I see that happen a lot. Yeah. It's it's because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. There's nowhere else for, place for people to congregate. You know, and some temples, you know, are, you know, physically they have no other place to go. So they have to see how to best, you know, utilize what they have. You know, I mean, like Taco Temple, they don't have a lot of spaces. But are they using what they have for the right purpose? Right. You need to have 12 offices when you can do the function with two offices. Mm. You know, with technology nowadays, you know, cloud is, you know, such a brilliant thing. You know, you can work remotely and, and get the account sorted. You can scan all your receipts and you don't have to have like, you know, big, big files of, you know, random papers. Right. You know, but then, then that space you save from your file room could be now a mother's room. Or it could be a you know a classroom, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And you don't have to scrounge for space in the Prashadam Hall or, or in the Temple Hall or whatever to be able to 
to execute your activities. Right. So you said that, you know, uh, the actual now Indian people like us mm. who are second generation American, you know, uh, Americans? Indian Americans, yeah. Indian Americans. I would say they're second generation, yeah. So we see that they are look they look Indian but they are American and they're not so attracted to Christian consciousness, I would say. Um the way the the the, the piety and the way uh the cultural like No, the culture they're attracted to because they want to pass that on to their kids. Do you That's think so? Because they grew up touching that culture. That's true. They do. Yeah. You know, yeah. Navratri time, you wear, you break out the, the colorful clothes, and Diwali, you go get the sweets. Holy, you know, get the the, the color powder. Although out. Diwali's become quite secular. It's fine. In in my town here, they had a Diwali thing at the library, and it was like the little kids made construction paper diyas, yeah. and there was no talk of Ram or, or Ram God or, or anything. Yeah. Well, no, they they talk about you know from darkness to light. Right, exactly. So that like ambigu- ambiguous kind of. But talk. the but the thing is, you know, with our generation, Indian Americans, or whatever, they grew up, you know, more cerebral. I hear breathing. Sorry. Uh, sorry. The little guy. He breathes really loudly. You have to train him to be your flash card holder. <laughs> you were saying. So, um, they, in our generation, we grew up with a full Western education. Right? So, we learned differently. We don't trust things that our parents tell us so much because, you know, we've learned about research and problem solving, you know, hypotheses and and logic you know, that's, that's a big thing so faith has to be earned it's no longer past mm. so how do you earn someone's faith you have to be able to present the philosophy in a way that attracts their that intellect that problem solving mentality mm-hmm. so coming to a big temple and you see you know big big you know things of fire you know, and smoke everywhere <laughs> that's not exactly going to challenge someone's you know, mine, yeah. but more like push them away. Like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. This is too much for me. Yeah. Why should I give up three hours on a Sunday? I could be watching football. You know what? But if we present the philosophy in a way and then make it relevant and accessible, mm-hmm. so, you know, Sunday feast doesn't have to be a segment from three to six or four to seven every Sunday. It could be an all-day open house. You know, like I, I tell devotees that I'd like to see in America in a situation like, you know, where the at the Bhakti Manor where they have Sunday feasts. Literally, it's from 12 noon till 9 or 10 at night. And mm-hmm. there's people, devotees, pilgrims coming in all day. Yeah. You know, and, and they come and they have different experiences depending on what time of the day you come. You know, go shala tour or you have a drama in the theater or, you know, there's some seminar about this or you can go tour the farm, you know. Yeah. So in, in that kind of an environment and with programming that befits that environment, you know, you have classes on astrology or you have class, classes on, you know, the Vedic percept, you know, Ishapanishad. That's a great, you know, book for cerebral thinking, Ishapanishad. Mm. That plus, you know, Kirtan, Prashadam, and, you know, the regular atmosphere of that's safe, that's, you know, family friendly. Sorry. That was me. Sorry. <laughs> then you get... Then you begin to attract, you know, our generation of people. 
I think it also has to do with people um, developing relationships with devotees who are like real devotees, like real practicing devotees, because the bhakti influences. Yeah, it's it, bhakti gives rise to more bhakti. Right. So. so, so what is the challenge? I mean, so what 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 is the impetus for me living outside to practice devotional service? Yeah, and and, and you know rise above and you know get past by anarthas and, and make it a serious thing. What is the impetus? What is if, the impetus? If I don't have good association, if I don't have someone that that I can you know live up to or look up to or, or yeah. follow. Yeah, yeah. And those persons also are looking for that association. Yeah. A certain submission has to be there. Submission comes from association. Yeah. If you really want to be with somebody, you know, like you really wanted to be with Tulsi. Well. Some submission <laughs> has to be there, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> He's a joker. Gora Chandra. Yeah. But it all comes from positive, a good association. And the thing is, you know, we don't have to just rely on devotees living in the temple to get that association. Mm-hmm. Like, your father is a great person to associate with. So is my dad. Yeah. Your mom, you know. And believe it or not, they don't live in the temple. Yeah, you know, I'm fascinated. I'm going to get my dad on the podcast you should. pretty sh- pretty, you should. Su- pretty soon. Uh, he's a very fascinating person. But the thing is, you know, your father had that kind of association when he was growing up as a devotee. Yeah. That convinced him that this is it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know, and he's the kind of person that can mentor and give association to a lot, which he does. You know, my dad does that. Right. Many of our parents do that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we also have that same responsibility. Yeah. So, you know, the temples, they're there to facilitate relationships, facilitate association. What did Govinda Maharaj said? He said temples are like crying schools. Crying schools, yeah. Right? But for to have a school, you have to have a lot of people. You have to have <coughs> teachers. You have to have an environment that, that, that teaches whatever that's to be taught. Yeah. You know, it's not like a factory. You go in, you know, you get punched different ways, and you get sent out. Where's the, human, where's the humanism in that? Mm. Where do you see ISKCON in North America in 10 years? I see it a lot more diverse, and I see it a lot more relevant. Really? Yeah. Relevant in what way? Relevant in how it attracts or how it reaches out to its constituents. What do you think a big part of that, how to do that is? Honestly, dialogues like this. Really? Really? I do. And I'm not just saying, you know, just because you're a great guy. I'm just saying this type of, what is the, what is the verse of nectar of instruction? You know, Pratikanati. Um, right. Guyam Prichati Akhiti. So these confidential talks, of course, the ideal confidential talk is about spiritual doubts. But a lot of spiritual doubts come from the fact that our needs may not be being met by the philosophy. Our needs may not. Because we don't understand or we're not sure how to get those needs fulfilled. Like, you know, Jay Daganath Prabhu's podcast about, you know, homosexuality. There was, you know, a lot of Shastric things that helped Jay Daganath Prabhu to navigate that. Right. And to me, it's like, it was eye-opening. Because it's not a question of, of now, 
should I believe or should I not believe? It's a question of do I really want to believe? Because the tools are there. Mm -hmm. The people are there. Just the thing is this dialogue now brings those topics up, brings those reveals those persons out, I mean, uh, up as potential mentors, as as areas of concern, as ways the the um the leadership and the devotees can start moving their focus around. You know, so this type of dialogue is critical. I mean, the first what was it the first ISKCON council was in 87 when the guru crisis happened. It was in Nurvindavan and all the leaders of ISKCON gathered together. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> Ravindra Surprabhu was there and, and many other leaders. And that's when all the, the now the, the, the limit of gurus was opened for the first time. And many qualified you know, disciples of Srila Prabhupada accepted the responsibility of giving initiation. Right. It was after that. So maybe we're due for another one of those big you know, powwows where the leaders of ISKCON, first, second, third generation come together and start talking about these things. Mm. You know, it it it's might be idea. as simple as you know you having a lot of FaceTime with you know up up and down the the ladder, but it might be more productive. You know, if there was you know assemblies, you know retreats, mantra retreats, you know Mataji retreats. You know, um, there's ways, but the thing is that communication, that dialogue has to continue. What's the biggest challenge we are we are going to be facing in the next ten years to grow? Um, I think the challenge is letting go of grudges. Oh, it's a huge one. Huge one. Because many devotees have been hurt. Yeah. You know, many devotees have been affected negatively by how ISKCON evolved or devolved. And no matter how many times we say sorry, it's not going to change what happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, and <laughs> Do you mind, sir? <laughs> and I'm not saying you know we should just take it on the chin. This is your karma. I'm not saying that. You know? Yeah. But I'm saying is we're gonna have to at least let go some of, the, of of those grudges so that we could move together. You know, I encourage anyone who's hearing the podcast if you don't have a temple to go to, come to the Brooklyn Temple. Come take some prasad with us. Come have some kirtan. There's no one gonna stop you from doing that. Right, you know. That's that's really interesting. Uh, I feel like a challenge definitely is um, egos, and in and fighting within the within our society. Yeah, but those egos, a lot of them came up from bad experiences. Yeah, you know, I was hurt by so and so, therefore now I'm going to behave like this. Right. Something happened. Kama <laughs> Something happened that made you lose your intelligence. Mm. Now you're reaching out to other means to sustain your existence. Mm. You're getting some success from that, so now you're feeling strong about yourself. Now I've made my new identity. Mm-hmm. But is that identity consistent with Srila Prabhupada's identity or Iska identity? That you have to be judged on. I feel like um, a lot of of our peers, uh, not a lot, but I, in my experience, people get um, turned off by ISKCON just because 
they may they may have a like you said a bad experience uh, with the movement or with the management, and then so what what keeps you going? as a second generation and now you're getting so involved with management and stuff like you don't have to do that you're you could you know you have a family to take care of you have a house you know i mean you you, you're going to you know and and so like what drives you to continue doing what you're doing which is kind of in in ways selfless um a few reasons one is um you know my parents they really, you know, tried their hardest to... <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. <coughs> they tried their, their hardest to connect us to Krishna. And it was not an easy task. Right. And when I, you know, re- you know understand from them, and then I read, hear from other devotees, and then I read about Srila Prabhupada, you know, the the energy that he had spent to come here with this message which is a universal message mm. that to me you know is something that that can't be um locked in a room somewhere it has to be spread it has to be especially when when it convinced you know people like my parents to really give their lives mm. for the society because the the message of bhagavad gita is universal mahaprabhu's message is universal and so what keeps me going is I don't want to let them down. Your parents. Mm. Right. You know? And at the same time, you know, what am I going to leave my kids? Yeah. You know, I don't want them to, you know, grow up in a society where religion is optional. <clears throat> and in a sense, not that I'm forcing you to go to church, but, I'm, but I definitely don't want you to miss out on the experience. Of experience a that you had. Yeah. Yeah. Directly connecting to Krishna. Right. And then, you know, lastly, you know, Srila Prabhupada said, you know, I consider New York my home. I feel at home here. So this is Prabhupada's home. Wow. <clears throat> you know, Vrindavan, Mayapur, Bombay, okay, that's okay. <laughs> my office, my... That's there. That's, that's, but, but of all the places outside of that, he, he said many times, you know, I consider New York my home. I feel at home here. So this is Prabhupada's home. Someone has to stand. Didn't he say something like, you know, when he when he had nothing and he, you know, was trying to develop the movement in New York came and gave New York gave him shelter. Yeah. And gave him so uh, no, he said that about America. Yeah. America gave me so many men and women. Yeah. Gave me all these gave me so many things and he was crying saying that yeah. how indebted he was to America. Yeah. yeah. America <laughs> But but the, but that's that's the thing. I mean, if if more devotees today cared about you know Iskand, they would study its history. They would study its ups and downs. They would yeah. They would take a vested interest in in trying to keep Prabhupada's mission and his mood and his his vision. You know, this is not an ordinary. I mean, I I request all of your your leaders to I mean all your listeners to to listen to Shri Prabhupada's poems that he wrote right. on Jaladuta. I mean. That's basically his mission in a nutshell. Yeah, you know, and his fears. He, I mean, it's it's pretty clear. He was afraid. Mm. You know, and but what convinced him to carry on? Mm. You know, and that can help us in our motivation to carry on. And the thing is, you know, especially when you take initiation, 
you know, this is what my senior devotee told me when I got first initiated. You know, um, he said, basically now the Guru Parampara is sitting on your shoulders. So when you know, Prabhupada said I was never alone, he was right. Srila hmm. Bhaktisanta was there. Gorkishore was there. Bhaktisanta was there. And they were acting in a way that Prabhupada could feel him because he was fully committed to pushing the mission, the message of Mahaprabhu, which is what his guru told him to do. Hmm. A lot happens when you actually, you know, follow something that's right, and you follow a person who's right. Hmm. A lot of good happens. Yatra Yogeshwara Krishna Yatra They're there waiting. It's just a question of us now acknowledging Krishna, you know, I'll do what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is it being a father? It's great. The best thing ever. Really? Best thing ever. How do you, how do you, um, now that your girls are getting, how old are they now? Three. Three. Oh, man. Uh, That's a fun time. Yeah? Yeah. What's fun about it? They're so curious. They're so... Talking a lot. Well, that's okay. It's great. But they're so curious. They, they question everything. You know, and, you know, in a mon- we're in a Montessori household, so it's not a question of just pointing it out or simulating. We actually have to help them experience that. Mm. You know, cutting vegetables and touching ice and, you know, <clears throat> putting uh, chocolate chips on their pancakes as it's being cooked, you know. Mm. Of course, everything is safe, you know, but the thing is, when they experience that, that helps them in their play. Mm. It helps them be more um, more expressive in their play. And then, you know, we try our best to immerse them in worshipping the deities. Mm-hmm. So, Is that a big part of, you think, a part of, grow, uh, you know, raising children in Christian yeah. cultures? Yeah. Deity worship? Yeah, Parikshit Maharaj, Bhagavatam. Oh, that's right. And then Prabhupada on the purpose talks about his own childhood. Oh, right, right. So absolutely. Was that a part of your childhood as well? Very a huge part of my childhood. Deity worship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What do the what do the girls do at age three regarding deity worship? They offer incense, oh, offer flower. Nice. They can offer ghee lamp. You know. They like to the do. Bell. Sure, sure, sure. That's they, really they, nice. they they can sing. I think the first line of Brahma Samhita they know. Oh, right. I can't wait till Gorachandra talks. Yeah, but but you have to immerse them. They have to hear. Yeah. So instead of you know singing lullabies, I was singing Brahma Samhita to them. You know. Oh really? Vaishnava bhajans, you know. Yeah. <coughs> How long you been married? Um, this year will be nine years. Wow. Great. 2010. Yeah. How's that been? It's good. Very good. You know, for my spiritual and material well-being, it's been very good. Yeah. You know, it's someone who I love, someone who I care for, and someone who I, you know want to facilitate every of our, our dreams spiritually and materially it's, it's wonderful yeah you know and i'm learning a lot too about myself as a man and a lot more to go i think a, a, a challenge devotees our age feel who are trying to get married is that how do they know if that person is your how do you make that step of committing or or knowing that this person oh i could spend my whole life with this person like how did you know that I didn't. You didn't know that? I didn't. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, when I was... I guess neither did I. When I was... You knew. 
No, I didn't know that I was gonna spend my whole life you like mean, I. You really? Yeah. Anyway, it's not about me. It's it was, about you. It was clear. <laughs> <laughs> it was clear. The two of you, you both of you knew. <laughs> it's not about us. Anyway, yes. But um, you know, when I was introduced to her, you know my wife, it was again it's just like many of our friends you were introduced to somebody i don't know maybe you know but more i talked you know to rasa and more i you know heard her feelings and and what her desires were and what she was looking for you know it it made it made you know it resonated with me and mm-hmm. that's what i was looking for also um did it mean that it was perfect from the day one no Every marriage has its you know challenges, ups definitely, and downs. Definitely, you know, but they're all ways for us to learn, you know. But the thing is, it's a lifetime commitment. So yes, so it shouldn't be. That's daunting. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when they put this in, it's supposed to be set for seven years, uh, seven lifetimes, right? All oh, right. So. We have to do it twice because the cinder color was wrong. So the, the Pujari Rupanuga Prabhu said, oh, that's 49 lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean the color was wrong? Um, it it was like orange or it something? Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't red enough. Oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, the first one we had was a little more orange. And then and from both sides of the peanut gallery, they were like, no, no, it's not red enough. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so I look forward to 49 lifetimes. <laughs> Um, do you, um, so what arc, do you do any architectural stuff for ISKCON? Yeah. Yeah. I've done a few things. Um, the Bhakti Center, um, I helped the duoies there a lot, um, Mm -hmm. with reconfiguring the building. Um, in 2012, only the temple room was partially done. Just the cow dung was on the walls and some of the moldings. Right. But there was still stuff had to be done with the air conditioning and the pujari room. Small, small things, the pillars. So I helped, you know, put that all together. And then the second floor, which was a temple room, needed a full, you know, needed a full reconfiguration. So I helped, you know, Radha March achieve his vision for that. Mm-hmm. And then um, the roof deck, you know, we got that put in, which was a pretty interesting, you know, thing that we did. Oh, yeah, that's great. But it helps, you know. Totally. <clears throat> and then we reconfigured the ashram on the sixth floor so we can have more devotees stay there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then um, CNJ, I helped them um, getting the Pujari department and some of the other rooms organized for their temple. And they keep asking me to help them with f- future projects, but I'm like, I have... Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Brooklyn Temple project is a big part of my life any plans now. any plans for Brooklyn to change architecturally um, right now only thing we're thinking about is how to make the building safe and clean and operational mm-hmm. um, I mean there's t- so many talks about you know tearing down the whole thing tearing down part of it really skyscrapers so many pine really? sky ideas yeah but you know I'm trying why to is it pine sky I think that's a great idea not if you have, you know, hardly anyone living in the temple. As there's That's barely true. any programs. I mean, here's a great story about architecture. Um, Radha Ramanji, Rindavan. Yeah. So, you you know, all of us know how the temple is. It's like you go through this nice ornate gate, then you have to go up and down and, and this way, that way to the temple room. Yes, yes. And it's a small temple room, maybe as big as your, you know, full fit of your house. And the deity yeah. is there. And, yeah. You know, beautiful experience. So yeah. there were these two brothers at Lucknow, the Shah brothers, Kundan Shah and, and something. So they were wealthy business, you know. Is this a magnate. recent thing? Or? No, this is two, three hundred years ago. Oh, okay. 
Um, so they were rather Ramana Bhaktas and they also had connection with the British because they were doing business. So um, at one point, you know, in this height of their success, they were thinking amongst themselves, you know, why is Radha Ramanji staying in this, you know, tiny little hovel? You know, you have to go up and down and all around and, and so forth and so on. Can we do something better for him? So they arranged for some land right near the temple and they built what we call the Shaji Palace with the, the, the curly hue columns and the, the, the mosaics on the wall and the French manicured gardens and the, the chandeliers and all that. They financed the whole thing and they got it built. And they told the Radharaman Pujaris, okay, now we would like to have Radharamanji stay in this beautiful place. And, and the Radharaman Pujaris were ecstatic because it's a nice, big, palatial place for Radharamanji. So the, the Vastu Puja is done, everything is done. The last thing left to do now is to take Radharamanji from the old place and carry him to the new place. Mm-hmm. Radharamanji does not move. That little deity, Does the little move. deity couldn't move. He would not move. Not oh couldn't, he would not move. Like they couldn't pick him up. Couldn't pick him up. Oh my god, that's so cool. True story. Um, and the Pujaris were like, oh, we don't know. I mean, and the Shah brothers were getting, you know, anxious. Like, did we offend? You know, what's going on? So then in the uh, night, Radha Ramanji came to the Pujaris' dream and said, Ask the two Shah brothers where all of you will stay. Next morning, the Shah brothers come anxious, what's going on, you know, what should we do? And the Pujari said, well, Radha Ramanji asked me, where are you all going to stay? Meaning, no, where, where, are, we where, where are we going to stay? stay yeah. And the Shah brothers were like, oh, we didn't even think about that. Oh, my God. I think you guys were just going to stay here and just walk over to, it's just down the road, what's the big deal? Yeah, yeah. And the Pujaris were like, okay. Then that night, Radha Ramanji said, well, why should I live somewhere where my devotees aren't staying? Hmm. I'm happy here. I didn't need that palace. I want to be with all of you. Mm. Wow. So they told us that the Shah brothers who repented, but now they have this big giant temple. What do you do? So they installed small Krishna, Radha Krishna, they called him Chota Radha Raman. Really? Yeah. I've never been there. Yeah. And then they have this one room. It's full of mirrors and chandeliers, all European, like 200-year-old chandeliers. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that's the thing. If you care for the devotees, Krishna will happily stay there with you. Care for the devotees. That's the motto. Yeah. So why should we talk about you know building big, big skyscrapers when the devotees who are coming now aren't properly cared for? Amen to that, man. Right? Amen to that. Yeah. So, you know, all this talk about temple building and, and getting new facility, what's the purpose of it? Is it the purpose to facilitate devotional service, facilitate relationships, the Dati Pratigranati? Is it, is it there for that purpose? Or is it there to fulfill some personal ambition or some, you know, legacy or whatever it is? Mm. What's the purpose? Good question. You know, then someone might say, well, there's no parking and whatever. Those are, you know, to me, excuses. That means there are challenges which... Um, Someone here? Yeah. There are challenges which have not been addressed. Mm. And instead of addressing those challenges, you're just finding reasons to do something that you want to do. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's even in life. You know, forget about building a temple in life. 
If you're finding too many excuses, then there are challenges which you're avoiding. Definitely. All right. Um, well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was really informative. Um, I, th- I definitely feel like our listeners got a um, better picture of you and what you're about and stuff. It was really, really Forgi- awesome. Forgive me for anything I said or misspoke. No, no, no. I don't think... Uh, you know, this is an open conversation, and I don't think there's any... Uh, forgiveness needed but if people want to get in contact with you um you're on facebook um yeah facebook is there otherwise you can just um (coughs) email email me through the temple info at iskonnyc.com info at iskonnyc.com get in touch with chaitanya ananda um let's leave it at that you know we'll have you on again let's talk about other um controversial things (laughs) maybe we can get more into brooklyn at some point if your wife allows. <laughs> it's not a question of whether she allows. It's a question of whether it's appropriate. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing really to talk about. It's it's. Uh, anyway, it's great that you're doing that. You stepped in second generation. I'm all about that. I'm all yeah, about second and, and generation. I hope other second generers. I mean, it's not just me. There's a whole team of second generers that are helping at Brooklyn. So. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. And we need to engage everybody. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So episode 14 with Chaitanya Nanda. Thank you everyone for listening. Hurry bowl. Hurry bowl. Thanks. Man, I knew you were.